Good morning, everybody. If you're new to Cornerstone, my name is Brian Carlucci, one of the pastors here. And uh, we want to start today with the theme of Jesus being the king. And, you know, there are a lot of accurate ways to think about Jesus today, whether you're an atheist, you're far from God, you've followed God for a really long time. There are a lot of good ways to think about him. For example, to think of Jesus as a friend is very appropriate. After all, he called people like us his friends, and we are his friends today. And many of you every week come and you're moved by the fact that Jesus is a savior. He's your savior. He's a hero. And that's a very appropriate way to think about Jesus because he stood in our place and died in our place. But Jesus will never make sense to you, nor will his teaching. And teachings like the one we're going to look at today with a, a very provocative parable. It will never, ever make sense to you unless you see Jesus as a king. More than any other subject, Jesus taught on the kingdom of God, and that kingdom always was focused around the king himself. As Jesus entered places, he would announce the kingdom of God is near, and that was the message that he shared with his disciples and now shares with people like us who follow Jesus today to bring about the kingdom. It was his one agenda, and he certainly as a king today sits on a throne, and someday he will sit on a throne and rule over this world once again. A couple years ago, I heard a quote from a pastor. His name is Mark Sayers, and I'll just tell you this about Mark Sayers. There's two things make him great. First of all, he's Australian, so he has one of those accents. It just sounds amazing. I don't know why they sound so much smarter than us, uh, but they do. But Mark Sayers really is smarter than all of us. He's the smartest pastor I know. And uh, one of the things he contributes just to the the global Christian world is he is really good at diagnosing the problems of Western culture, And he's really good at understanding and helping explain what's happening in faith communities in the Western culture. So that, of course, would include the American church. And here's something he said a while back that I'll never forget. He said, modern people love the kingdom of God, but they have forgotten about the king. And this is what he means by that. We love things like justice and equity and love and grace and creativity, all wonderful, beautiful things. But no one wants to submit to a king anymore. And one of the things we have to admit just as people who are living our lives so powerful, we have so much to our disposal, we have so much control over our lives, is it can be very hard for us, people who even have an affinity for Jesus, to actually let him be in charge and let him be the king. What those people are missing when loving the kingdom but not understanding the king is that it comes from him. Where did all of those things come from? Justice and equity and love and creativity and grace. It comes from God. Shared in the scriptures, shared through the people of Israel, and then through the life of Jesus that's now manifest in his church today, that is how the kingdom comes. N.T. Wright has a wonderful book called How God Became King. What a title, right? How God Became King. God didn't just become man, which we celebrate at Christmas, but the Gospels tell a story of how God became king. He says this, the Gospels were all about God becoming king, but the creeds, in other words, the teaching of the church that followed, all became about God or Jesus being God, which is also true, but we miss the theme of how God became king. Here's one of the outcomes of missing Jesus being king. It is much easier to produce moral musings than to be presented with the fresh challenge of the kingdom. Here's what N.T. Wright is saying. He's saying it's much easier just to come up with a new set of morals, new religion around the teaching of Jesus than to actually have him be king and live in his kingdom. Because when someone is king, they're in charge. 
right? Our life is meant to be a response to him. Abraham Heschel, who is a uh, brilliant Jewish theologian, says this about how we're meant to steward and respond to God. He says, the world, and by the way, this is a question he's asking or he's trying to answer. What is reality? Does it start with us as people or does it start with someone or something else? He said, the world and its ultimate significance must be understood in relation to God. And the answer to the question is all things are his servants. I mean, think of that. Everything that is around us, our lives, all that's been created is there to honor and serve God. I'll just tell you, this isn't something that modern pastors love talking about because we love talking about how God helps us, right? Which he does. But we exist for him. For from him are all things and to him are all things. Our life is about him. And so here's a question I want to ask you as we start today. What story is your life telling? One of the phrases we like to use here at, here at Cornerstone is to live a bigger story. I mean, there's many stories that you can live. All of our lives tell a story. Our marriages tell a story. Our friendships tell a story. This church tells a story. What story are we living in? Are we living the bigger story of God and his redemptive kingdom in the world that's bringing hope to people? Because right now in our community, there's a lot of hopeless narratives, struggling narratives. People's spirits are downcast, and rightfully so, after all of the things that have taken place. And God has put people like us in this place in this moment to lift them up and to tell a bigger story. Now, I start my message today because we're about to go to uh, that parable that's very difficult to understand. But I, the reason I wanted to start the, today with the theme of the king is because this parable will actually bother you unless you can entertain for a moment that Jesus is not just a king, but he's your king. So, of course, Jesus called himself a king. He sits on the throne. The writers of the scriptures do. But for a moment, let's just start from the assumption that we can all entertain the thought that Jesus is our king, which means he knows the way for us. He not only knows the way for us, the way to flourish, the way to bless us, the way to use us, but our life is meant to be a response to him. We exist because God wished to share something with us. Loving community. His attributes, his character, his own experiences of joy, which we're going to see here in the parable. We exist for him because he thought it would be a good idea. So we exist for him. So for a moment, let's entertain the thought that Jesus is each of our kings. And we're going to go through uh, this parable that occurs in Matthew 20, chapter 25. It's one of the last parables Jesus told. It's towards the end of his, uh, end of his life before he's crucified. And then, he, he, of course, he, he rises from the dead. And so there's much more that Jesus shares with us as time goes on. But this is towards the end of his teaching with his disciples. And it's a pretty long parable, so I'm going to read through it. And I'll give you a little background as we go. So you can follow behind on the screen behind me, Matthew 25, starting in verse 4. It starts this way. It says, again... And this is what he's talking about. This is what the kingdom of God will be like. Again, the kingdom will be like this. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold or a talent, five, bag, five talents. Many people believe a single talent was something equivalent to 20 years of wages. So we don't know that for sure, but that's what many historians believe. So it's a large amount of wealth. So he gave five bags of gold to another he gave two bags, and to another one, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now, one thing you need to know is Jesus is telling this story in the context of first century Israel. This is, this is the Middle East, 
And there were, there were very rich landowners at this time. They were the masters, and they had servants that served them. And they served them in a number of different ways. And this kind of scene was common in Jesus' day. Uh, people would leave. They'd go away, and they'd travel. And when you travel, you go away for a very, very long time. It could be years. And they would entrust their wealth with their servants so that they might invest it. And so this isn't, Jesus isn't making up a story that no one would have no, understood. They'd seen this kind of thing before. In fact, many of the people Jesus is talking to perhaps had this job of being the one that would, be, would invest the master's wealth as they were gone to, to steward that amount while they were gone. So there is an assumption here that something is meant to be done with the five bags and the two bags and the one bag of gold. Verse 16, the man who had received five bags of gold at once put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the one who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in the master's happiness. Other translations say, come and share in the master's joy. And I love that more because joy just has more of a punch. Come and share in the master's joy. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold, so I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many more. Come and share in your master's joy. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown seeds and gather where I have not scattered seed? He asked that question. Well, then you should have put that money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back, at least with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who, had, who has 10 bags. For whoever has been given more, for has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken from them and throw listen to these harsh words and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth now this scene like i said may have played out in different places in the world of jesus but this is a parable so he is using an illustration or a story to help us understand something that is true Parables help us understand the things that are true in God's kingdom. And so I want to make a few observations to just help us understand what Jesus is trying to say because parables often can be misleading. All right, so a few observations. First of all, this parable is not about money and profits. Notice how the master rewards the man with five bags in the same way that he rewards the man with two bags. They are treated the same. They're both honored by the master. You see this in verse 21, and then again in verse 23, he says this to both of the servants, the same phrase. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. 
So they're given more responsibility. They're honored even more. The reward is the same for the man that multiplied it to, five, to 10 as the man that multiplied it to 4. The master is not interested in the amount. He's not interested in the amount of the prophets. He's interested in their faithfulness. He's interested in their commitment to serve him the way he has asked him. He's interested in their loyalty and how they might represent him while he has been gone. We also see this because the reward is the same. Again, in verse 21 and 23, he says, come and share in your master's joy or happiness. Do you see it? It's the same. So even though money is part of the subject and part of the experiment here, it's not the point. Neither are profits. I know lots of businessmen and women in, in, uh, in the world. Not really around the world, more around here, I should say. And, you know, you could divide businessmen and women up in a couple different categories, but there are those that just all they want is profits. But then there are other ones that often have more profits. You know what they're, they're interested in? They're interested in multiplying and growth and potential and possibility and creativity. So I think the master is that type of businessman in this story. And he's wanting to share that. And so he affirms both of them and he gives them the same reward. Come and share in the master's joy and he gives them more responsibility. So the first observation is not about money and profits. Number two, the master's motivations here are very clear. They are about sharing something special with those that he's leading. And if you go even further, this is a relational desire. He wants to, he wants, he loves them. And he want, because he loves them, he wants them to experience what he experiences. The master wanted his servants to learn to experience something that he already knows, and that is that we can be faithful and fruitful in this world, that you can be trusted, and because of that, you can be entrusted and you can be empowered to do more. The master in this story is generous. And not only is he generous, but he has a generous heart, and he's wanting his servants not just to be generous, but to discover a generous heart. There's a difference between those two things. He wants his servants to share in the joy of generosity. And like I said a moment ago, innovation and creation and possibility and potential. He wants them to experience the joy of something new coming about that didn't exist before. All of these things. So one way I can illustrate this is in our home with our boys. You know, we have four boys. Our oldest is 17. Our youngest is eight. And that means that over the years, we have bought a lot of Legos. Like thousands of dollars worth of Legos. When the, when the fire was happening a few weeks ago, it was moving towards our home. And so we were in the pre-evacuation area. And uh, so we went, Elise and I went to the house and we grabbed our papers and pictures. And I walked by the Lego room and I thought, these are treasures. I didn't want to leave them. But when we first bought, started getting the boys Legos, you know, you, you get the set and it shows a picture on the box of what you're supposed to make. That's why you buy that set. So a castle or a Star Wars ship. Those are the popular Legos in our house. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, I would say to the boys, oh, we got to put it together just like this. Right? That's the point. And once you put it together, don't play with it because you'll mess it up. That's what I used to tell them. 
I used to build them these amazing kingdoms, and I'd walk up there, and it'd just be trash. And they'd have a huge smile on their face and be like, Dad, look at this. I'm like, look what you did. But you know what they wanted to do with the Legos? And this is why you give kids Legos. They want to create. Right? They might play with the toy the way it's meant to be built for a while, but then they want to tear it up, and they want to do their own thing. And they want to let their imagination and their own experiences shape what they're building. So almost on a weekly basis still, and now it's more Jude because he's, he's the youngest and he's still really into Legos. I'll hear this, Daddy, look what I made. And he's really proud. That's more like the meaning of this parable than the way many people read this. Discover, explore. Add to what I'm doing. That's what the master wants. That's his motivation. Because he cares about his servants. And he wants them to have the same kind of joy that he has. Joy is the outcome of this whole thing. Here's the third observation. The third servant has rejected the invitation of the master to join him and to be like him. So the real harm here that's being done is not that he was wasteful or apathetic or lazy it's, but that he rejected this invitation from his master to join him, to be like him, to share in all of those things we just talked about. Now, it's pretty weird. He tries to blame the master. At the very least, he's coming up with an excuse, or he's trying to blame him for his failure. And he says, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. He's basically accusing the master of being an evil man. Now, we have an inside scoop on what the master is like from the other two servants, so we know that's not true. The master is generous, and he's trusting, and he's looking further down the road, and he's trying to help his servants learn to be like him. But this one servant has missed the invitation to join him, and all he hears is just, you know, this guy is oppressive and evil, and he even comes up with things that are not true about him to say to him. It's the third observation. The fourth one is this. The master's harsh words to the third servant are justified. Now, this is hard for us really nice people. We're obsessed with being nice, but we're not very kind, right? You know, there were times that Jesus, like, let people have it. And he didn't do it to shame people so that they would just feel shame. He did it so that things might change. He was trying to help them or make a, an example to help other people. So he said things like this. You're either with me or against me. In Revelation, Jesus' words are shared through John. He says, you know, I'd rather you be hot or cold than somewhere in the middle. Like Those are harsh words, right? The master in the story said, calls him evil and wicked. And it's not just because he was wasteful. It's not because he was lazy. But it's because he had rejected something good and beautiful. He lacks the goodness, the faithfulness, the loyalty, the courage to be like the master and to be like the other two servants. And what that means is you can't read this parable and walk away thinking that God does not value faithful creative stewardship a lot. Do you see that? That's important to him. God cares a ton about what we have and what we do with it. 
and how we share it and what we create with it and the story we tell with everything we have. And this, you know, the story here, money is the object, but the story could have been told with, with gifts, talents, time, relationships, experiences. I know some people who are so unwilling to share their relationships, their friendships with other people because they're possessive of those people. And what they fail to understand is as more people are included in relationships and your friend can be someone else's friend, you know what happens? Joy increases. In the kingdom of God, it's not a zero-sum game. Things increase and things multiply. And we're meant to steward all that we have. Now that leads me to what I've been looking forward to sharing with you, and so is our executive team for several months now, what we're calling Kingdom Assignment. And this is something that this month is happening in a number of different churches around Boulder, and we're excited to be able to do it with some other churches. Cornerstone actually was a part of Kingdom Assignment 19 years ago. Any of you here way back then for it? Okay. The rest of you, this will be a fun surprise. In a moment, I'm going to ask for 20 to 30 volunteers in this service, we're giving each service an opportunity for this and those that are watching at home. I'm gonna ask for volunteers to come up and I'm gonna hand you $100. Apparently, this is what $10,000 in cash looks like. It was very disappointing to me today <laughs> when someone gave it to me. I wanted to hold something like this. It's not that exciting. I was like, I can't wait to get it. So I, Steve said, it's in the safe. Well, our safe is tiny. And I thought, what? $10,000? It's going to take up a lot of space. But in a moment, some of you are going to come forward, and I'm going to give you $100. By the way, we have our young adults up in Breckenridge right now doing the very same thing on their retreat. Many of them are a part of this. This opportunity will be extended to our kids and our middle school students in the next week. Our high school students can participate today. If you're watching at home, we want you to be a part. John's going to put the text line up in the stream. You'll see the text number, and all you need to put is the uh, keywords kingdom assignment, and we'll be in touch with you. Those are ways you can participate if you're watching from home. But here are the three conditions for receiving the money. You got to get this, okay? Number one, the money doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the master. It doesn't belong to me either. Which means you can't spend it on yourself, and this is meant to be used to bless someone else. So you can use it to help fix someone's car. You can work to multiply it to help make a huge repair if you need to. You can use the money to start an organization that may exist for years to come that serves orphans in a different part of the world. Maybe you multiply this over and over again and you come up with enough to pay for a friend's counseling for the next six months or the next year because you know that they're having a really hard time. A lot of people are in that place. But it doesn't belong to you and it's meant to be a seed of the kingdom that is planted in a community that's having a hard time. Here's the second condition. You have 70 days, 10 weeks, to creatively, faithfully steward this gift and then give it away. 70 days to prayerfully consider how you might multiply or maximize this gift. And before you do anything, we want you to pray. 
Because we have tremendous confidence in the Holy Spirit speaking to his people. You take a willing heart, a faithful heart, and you add the power of the Holy Spirit, amazing things can happen. I'm going to tell you some stories here in a moment of what God can do when, when you have those ingredients together. But you have 70 days to, to wait on the Lord, to listen to what he's saying, and then put some plan into place. And then here's the third condition is today you're going to, if you're going to volunteer, you need to fill out one of these cards, and you're going to leave it with us because we want to know who you are. Not so that we can hold you accountable. This is between you and the Lord. I, I, we have tremendous trust in our people. But we want to be praying for you. We want to be supporting you. And then we want you to report back of what happened in 70 days. We want to hear the stories. We want to capture the amazing stories. And so the third condition is that you report back. Let us know who you are and report back in 70 days. So again, this is God's money and it's meant to be used for his kingdom by generously serving or giving it to someone else. You have 70 days with the help of the Holy Spirit to steward this gift. And number three, you need to stay in touch and report back to us. My favorite kingdom assignment story came from another church. And it's a story of a little boy. He was about the age of Jude, my youngest son. He's eight or nine. And when the kids ministry at this church was handing out money, they were handing out fives and tens. And so the little boy took a $5 bill. And he went home and he thought about it for a week. And then there was a garage sale. And so he went around the garage sale and was looking for certain things. And he saw one of those little shovels and pans that you clean up dog poop with on sale for $5. And he said, you know what, I'm going to buy that. Then he went to his neighbor's house. His neighbor had two dogs. It was a great big mess in the backyard. And the little boy said to the neighbor, would you pay me $5 if I clean up your dog poop for a week? And the man said, yes. And the little boy did such a good job, this was during summer break and he was at home and had time, that the man asked him if he would be glad if he would do it the rest of the summer. And so the little boy did seven weeks of cleaning up the man's poop. He took $5 and turned it into $35. Seven times. If he was serving the master, the master would say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in the master's joy, right? Let me tell you who our two, first two volunteers are. The first is a young lady. She's a high school student. Her name is Anya, and she's very special. Her parents are here in this service today. Anya already knows how she's going to use the $100. She's going to use it as a, a star, and she's going to invite some of her other high school friends and those in her community to throw a party. We call them here. We call them Kids Night Out here at Cornerstone. We used to do them often for foster kids. They come here. We throw a party, give the parents a night off. But she's going to throw a Kids Night Out, a party, for the young kids who lost their homes in the Marshall fires. And while they're here, those kids are going to go shopping for toys. People are going to contribute. Who knows what $100 is going to become? So the little boy worked hard. Anya's going to work hard and invite others in. There's many different ways to do it. She's our first volunteer. Our second volunteer is a man named Rob. Rob and his wife, Jenna, lost their home two weeks ago. So they're in the middle of rebuilding their life. But you know one thing Rob knows? He knows his life is not about him. And he knows where joy comes from. And so Rob said yes to this. With all the other things going on in his life, he's going to take on this responsibility of just taking $100. And there's some pressure here, right? What am I going to do? 
with this gift? But Rob has said yes. Two people leading the way for us. So grateful for them. Now, $100 is not that big of a deal. That's what it costs to fill up my truck right now. My four boys eat that amount of food every two or three days. That is not an exaggeration. Can buy you two tickets to a Buff game, which is money well spent, of course. One ticket to a Bronco game, money even better spent. $100 isn't that big of a deal. Unless, of course, it belongs to God, and you believe that, right? Unless there's a purpose behind it. I'll tell you a couple more stories. It's a story of a, ter- a woman named Terry. In a church one Sunday, she was there. She volunteered for kingdom assignment. She came forward. She was nervous. She received the $100. Right after church, she went to a restaurant to attend a birthday party for one of her friends. And, and while she was there, she just said to a couple of girls, they were off to the side talking. She said, the weirdest thing happened at church today. Our pastor handed out $10,000, and I received this $100 bill. And, of course, people said, what? what? Why? And then she went on to say, well, you know, I'm supposed to try to multiply this and then use it to bless someone who really needs it. So that quiet, private conversation spread throughout the whole large party. And by the time she left the party that day, she had $1,800 in her hand. And the restaurant had donated the meal for everyone for free because they had heard the conversation that was taking place. Before she left the restaurant that day, she also received a tip from one of her friends of someone who actually might need or could benefit from this gift. It was a lady who had just left an abusive relationship where she was very physically harmed and was still recovering. She had two kids at home. She was working during the day, going to night school at night, and her oldest daughter was in rehab for addiction. So someone just having a very, very difficult time. This lady's name was Lisa. And so Terry got her phone number and called her a few times. And after the first few conversations, they actually met up in person. And Terry told Lisa what this was all about and that she was going to to bless her and her family and give her an incredible gift. But she said, you know what? That's not what this is really about. God has brought us together. These are her exact words. God has brought us together because he wants us to be friends. Come and share in the master's joy, right? It's all relational. It's joy. The money would be used that December to help pay Lisa's rent. And then she also gave her some gift cards so that she could put on a great Christmas for her kids. A few days later, not long after their meeting, Lisa called Terry to tell her what she had done with the money. And she also said, hey, there's quite a bit left. We paid the rent and bought gifts for the kids. There's quite a bit left. So this is what the kids and I did. The kids and I bought some presents for some other kids that we know, children who have far less than us. Do you see the difference between just like handing stuff out and what can happen when people face-to-face care for each other? It's not about the presence. It's not about the rent, although those things are important. It's about the joy that these things create. That's what joy sounds like and feels like and looks like. Another one of my favorite stories is a businessman named Doug. He, uh, he admittedly said it's, it was hard for him to take a challenge from a pastor because he 
from the seat he sat in, as he often described it, he would look down on people of that job. So to be challenged by a church or a pastor was hard for him, but he said yes that day. He went away and he began to pray with his wife about how he was to steward the $100. And God told him that he's to engage some of the friends in his life. And so he wrote a letter to 10 of his closest fraternity buddies from college 25 years ago. And he told them what was happening. And he told them, I want this gift to go to something called the Jesus Film Project. And many of you know about that. I'll just say this. It's a film that Campus Crusade made many years ago, crew made many years ago. It's been translated into 70,000 languages. Not 70,000 languages. I said that and I thought, there are way too many zeros. 700 languages. Man, I got multiplying on my mind. At least and I need to go gambling. <laughs> 700 languages. Powerful tool. Some people have said it's the most effective gospel tool that's ever been invented, except, of course, after the Bible. But it's that powerful. And he wanted to gift the money to them. So he, he writes his fraternity buddies, and, uh, and they all say yes, and they donate, and they give over $6,500, and him and his ma- wife match that gift. And they gave the Jesus Film Project $13,000 as a gift through kingdom assignment. He asked uh, one of the staff people that he had given the gift to, he said, what can this money do? Like, you know, even $13,000, it's, it's not a ton, but what can it do? And it said, and the, the staff person for crew said, oh, this is an incredible gift. Let me tell you what it can do. $13,000 can pay for two African nationals, pay them for a year, It can pay for their video, the screens that they're going to use, the projectors, the mobile generators, the gas that they need to travel around Africa for a year and show the film. In a year, these two staff people with one projector and one screen can get the message of Jesus out to 200,000 people. That's how it works in the kingdom of God. A little of us, a lot of him, And God can work. And the result, of course, was come and enjoy in the master's joy. Come and share in the master's joy. So a few reasons why you might want to say yes today, because I'm not going to give you all the reasons to say no. You have those yourself. Here are a few other reasons to say yes. If faith right now is kind of boring to you, the way it's not boring is you let Jesus lead. Like somewhere you've never been before. To a part of your heart that he's never been before. To, to something new a, new, a new level. And so um, it's not a small thing. You know, a lot of Christians say, yeah, I just, it, I'm not passionate anymore. I don't feel connection with God. I'll tell you, what, when you begin to pray and you need his help and you're out there, it's not boring. It's something else. You discover that faith feels like risk at times. But I know a lot of us get to that place. I do. Another reason is you actually want to see God answer prayers. Because he will. You want to wait and you want to watch God move in you and around you. God will do miraculous things. I told you last week, I can promise you that with this tragedy that's taking place in our community, the spirit of God is moving and there will be stories of miracles. Amazing things that occur. 
Maybe you're one of those people that know a little can go a long way. And so you're like, of course, God can use me. Maybe you're someone that just wants to help somebody. And you haven't figured out how you can do it yet. Or maybe you haven't figured out how you can do it in a more personal way. Where joy is the outcome. So those are a few reasons why you might want to say yes. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to just give you a chance to come forward if you'd like. And, I mean, this whole service could take up all the money up here. So we're going to have a limit in this service because there's another service to come. But I'd love to have 20 or 30 volunteers in this service. And staff's going to come up. They're going to help with, with this. But if... I'm going to pray. I'm going to give us a moment just to be quiet and hear from the Lord. But if you feel like the Lord is leading you to do this, maybe you don't even need to wait to hear him. You're just like, I I want to be a part of something like this. I want to be a part of sowing seeds of hope and generosity and joy in our community. Then you just need to fill this out. I think there's some pens in the seat pockets uh, in front of you if you need one. You can borrow one from a friend. You need to bring one of these up if you want to volunteer. Not everyone needs to fill this out. If you're not going to participate, you don't need to fill this out. But if you are, you can start filling it out. And you get to join Anya and Rob, our first two volunteers that are a part of this. And so I want to just go to the quiet place of prayer. And then I'm going to give you a chance to come up. And then we're going to close. I'm going to give you a blessing as you leave. Father God, we thank you for the simple message. We thank you for the message of the kingdom. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the king. You're the only one that can navigate the wilderness of death and darkness and struggle. Thank you that the kingdom of God is that light in the world today. We get to enjoy it without often naming it, but we know it's you, Jesus, that you're working, that you're blessing, that you're moving. We also, Father, recognize that you want to use your church, that we are your presence in this world today, that you care for people, that you share your joy You provide for people through people just like us. And so I pray for all of us that our hearts would be open to being that type of person responding to you that way. But for those in the room, Father, who need to say yes to this particular kingdom assignment, and we all have many, and we're not all called to the very same things, but to those that are called to be a part of this today, Father, I pray that you'd speak to them. I pray that as they say yes, that you'd begin to speak to them in the weeks to come and the days to come. And that you would lead them of what to do with this and who it goes to. I pray that they would feel joy, excitement, be honored to do something with you in a special way. And we just bless them with that. So, Father, we just pray now for just for you to move. And in the weeks to come, that this would be something that brings light and life to people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen.